that was 2010. Um, what has the process like been since? Because obviously that's coming up for a decade ago. Yeah, um, I know. Plenty has happened in that time. Um, but one big part of, of your drive now is to, to find a cure for paralysis. Mm, mm. Um, tell us how you got to the point where you're able to A, accept that this was your fate, but B, say, well, actually, I need to overturn that. Well, I, I suppose during my, my time in hospital, I was thinking to myself, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd done all, I had done all the work on rebuilding my identity. I'd, I'd created my whole career around bouncing back, becoming an adventure athlete. And I'd, I'd built a speaking business uh, with that identity, a speaker, an adventure athlete. And the, I, the story was life was good, then I went blind. You know, ultimately, then I went to the South Pole. Life's good, you can do whatever you want. Uh, you know, and I was lying in hospital thinking, oh, well, now I've got to tack on the end of that. Then I fell out a window and it's all terrible again. You know, you can't exactly leave a corporate audience on that low note <laughs> after you've built them all up. So I'm thinking, my, uh, you know, my business is gone. Uh, how can I be a blind and paralyzed athlete competing? Because there just aren't that many blind and paralyzed people around to, to race against. So I was thinking, my identity's gone again. My business is gone. Uh, I've got to do it all again. I don't. I just didn't feel inclined to, to take 10 years to rebuild my identity and find another South Pole. And I very quickly realized that that competing just wasn't going to be the same anymore, that going off to a South Pole or a Siberia or whatever, it just, I would have been like a novelty act. I wouldn't have been racing. Yeah. And... And what going wasn't enough for you. No. You actually had to compete and race. Yeah, because just be like I never went for a I never went for a walk in the mountains or a sail around. I was always interested in racing, not to beat not you know, the aim is always to to win, to beat the other beat the other person, but sport was much more for me about uh, the kind of common purpose, the camaraderie, the having a pint with the guy that you raced with or against after the after the racing was done wherever you wherever you finished and just going along just going along and turning up uh, just wasn't attractive to me so mm. so i've i sort of made made sense of the direction that i've now gone in slowly building on getting out of the bed going to the gym finding out that there was no there was nothing beyond the wheelchair the, the best practice the conventional wisdom was that it stops in the wheelchair, that you've got to go and live life in the wheelchair. And that's very much part of it. So I've accepted that. I've accepted that life is worth living in the wheelchair, that there, with the right supports, there's lots of things that I can do and loads of people live full and meaningful lives. But I felt that I needed something else to run alongside that. And I started with uh, physical exercise, coming to England, going to California to to get involved in aggressive physical therapy programs and that was just to see what I could maximize from the parts of my nervous system that remained intact and I thought to myself well if even even if that doesn't cure me which I didn't think it would um, at least I would be in decent shape that if any innovations came al mm. along that I'd be ready to to go for them 
and thankfully I've had lots of wins along the way. Robotic legs came along two years later and I was able to get a set of those from uh, Exobionics in San Francisco, bring them back to Ireland. I've done over a million and a half steps and that was the platform to go on to the next, um, perhaps the most important innovation that's happened in spinal cord injury research to date, um, which is electrical stimulation of the spinal cord to allow for voluntary movement. And really that stimulation combined with the robotics has been what I've been focusing on for the last number of years because I've now been able to bring the two groups of scientists together ultimately which has allowed me to voluntarily move my lo- my legs uh, while I walk in the in the robot and that's the platform hopefully for other interventions that will that will come along so what kind of time frame are we talking here when did that happen and and how do you see the progress being made yeah so I mean, I was pretty much in hospital from July 2010 through to the end of 2011. So the first year and a half was mm. out of action then. 2012. How, uh, how tough was that? Well, you know, I'm, I think what I've learned from, the para, from that early period and in the aftermath of blindness that sometimes, sometimes the uncertainty around the challenge is is as difficult as the bad news. So not knowing if I was going to recover, uh, not knowing what the diagnosis is, not Mm. being able to, not getting well enough to get to the rehabilitation gym. The uncertainty uh, is so difficult in comparison to the worst case news that you're not Mm. going to recover. That's going to be it. Because once, once you've got a, once you've got a starting point, you then have a chance of, creating a target for yourself and it's that um it's that gap between the starting point and some target in the future that i think allows us as human beings to to get off the starting blocks and to get it feels like you're moving forward even if you're starting from a tragically low base Mm. um so so it was for a year and a half it was absolutely awful um you know, and now when I talk about my story, which I sometimes forget is actually my life, <laughs> I I just jump over it sometimes and sort of go from it. Mm. Had the accident, and now I'm walking in robotic mm-hmm. legs and trying to cure paralysis in her lifetime. But it started with a with a lots of crying, um, lots of grief for what I had lost, mm. uh, lots of confusion, uncertainty. Uh, a sense that it had changed my relationship with with myself, but also with the people around me, my fiance. It changed our relationship. It impacted her in a way that it's not just about the person who gets injured. Everyone else has to is impacted by it and has to deal with it in some way, and it changes their lives as much as it changed my life. So, you know, there was all of that. All of that change and uncertainty and uh, tears and emotions, and eventually everyone found a new, found a new level that we could all sort of start off from, and create a, a new future. You've talked a lot about the importance of identity and creating that identity. In that first sort of year, eighteen months, did you feel that your identity was gone forever? That you would ever be able to recapture it? Um. 
Well, certainly not. Certainly not in those first six, twelve months because it was very much uh, moment to moment, day day to day. And in a way, a hospital system is designed to facilitate the problem. The focus is on the problem. So as the patient, it's all about you in the bed. And you in the bed uh, are the representation of your injury or your illness. So on a daily basis, all of the conversation, much of the conversation was about what I'd lost, about the problem, about the mm-hmm. diagnosis. And when you when you focus almost 100% on the problem, life is the problem. Mm-hmm. So it was really only... Um, you, therefore, therefore, my identity was the problem, right? So, because you were being defined by the problem. Correct, mm-hmm. correct. It, 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 it nearly, and certainly in the hospital, when you're living in hospital, and when people are visiting and staying in nurses' accommodation and leaving Ireland and spending weeks by your bedside, their life becomes the problem. Mm-hmm. So, I had at the time. Uh, I had my South Pole flag with 500 faces, all the people who had supported me to get to the South Pole hanging above my bed, uh, above the head of the bed. And when I was particularly uh, hammering the morphine in, I kept saying to my fiance Simon, you know, did I do it? Did I do it? It, it, it seemed to matter so much to me that, uh, that I had done that. And of course, the idea of being blind and paralyzed and being an adventure athlete that had gone so the question then becomes who are you what what are you going to do and back to this idea what's the identity so mm-hmm. i uh, i had read a book called man's search for meaning by victor frankl uh, which is a concentration camp survival book and and victor frankl had he had been a, a psychologist and had been taken into a concentration camp and all of his life's work had been ripped up his family were were nowhere near him ultimately most of them were killed and he eventually had he eventually found a way to to be in charge of his own experiences to find meaning in this terrible situation and in the book he, he quotes Nietzsche he says uh, Nietzsche says he who has a why to live can bear with almost any how uh, the idea that if you know why you're doing what you're doing, you can put up with the tough stuff, and to me that that speaks to identity. Why why do you get up in the morning? Why do you why do you bother? And for me, that has uh, the way I've made sense of it is that I before I lost my sight, I was an adventurer. When I was at the South Pole, I was inspired by the explorers, the Scots, the Shacklands, the Amundsen. They were the explorers a hundred years ago. I was just down there doing sport. I was an adventurer, an adventure athlete. But I have come to feel more aligned with explorers of all type now that I'm trying to cure paralysis, which has never been done before. That up to this point in history, there has been no cure discovered. Uh, has become really interesting because throughout history, um, those explorers have changed the reality for all of us by doing things that have never been done before. So through their human endeavor, uh, they've pushed the boundaries to make things normal, like going to the South, mm. going to the South Pole. So I feel 
now I, I've rebranded my website from mm-hmm. adventurer to to explorer and like if I'm not an explorer the scientists and technologists that we work with very much are explorers they're not in the mountains and deserts of the world but they're in their labs just doing exactly the same as mm. all explorers have done throughout history. 